Hello, I'm Marcus Louth and welcome to the latest edition of the UFO Insight Podcast, where we discuss UFOs, alien abductions, conspiracies and mysteries, and all aspects of the paranormal. Right then, this episode we'll be looking at some of the most intriguing little-known UFO encounters to have come out of my neck of the woods, the United Kingdom. And these range from sightings of strange objects from afar, to unsettling and disturbing cases of alien abduction. We will start with an exclusive of sorts with an incident that was told to me personally several years ago. And while the person that informed me of this encounter was happy for me to write or speak about it, I was under strict instructions to keep them completely anonymous. They have no desire to revisit the case or undergo any kind of aggression therapy in order to discover anything more than what they can already remember. As such, while the details of the account itself remain unchanged, the person's name and precise location are not revealed. For the sake of our purposes here, we will call the witness P.T. P.T. lived in a small town in Yorkshire in the north of England with his mother at the time of the incident. The encounter occurred when he was only six years old one day in the spring or summer of 1984. On the day in question, a little after midday, P.T. was playing outside in the backyard. It was a particularly hot sunny day and his mother, not a fan of the heat, remained inside preparing their evening meal. The yard was fenced at either side by neighbours and had a wire fence at the back so she felt safe in allowing him to play unsupervised, although he could, and regularly did, scale this back fence to access the fields at the back of the house. What was strange about this particular day, after playing on the grass near the back fence, he suddenly realised his mother was calling to him and by the sound of the annoyance in her voice, she must have been calling for some time. He suddenly turned around and answered, seeing his mother standing in the doorway that led to the backyard. She asked him what he'd been doing, and that she had indeed called him several times to come in for dinner. P.T. apologised and offered that he didn't hear her. It was then that he took a glance at his digital watch on his wrist. To his shock, it was almost 6pm. It felt like only minutes had passed since he had first stepped outside after eating lunch. He came in and ate dinner, and while P.T. was indeed confused by the day's events, or lack thereof, at least that he could remember, he went to sleep as normal that evening. And while he would occasionally think of it, and just what had happened to cause him to not remember playing outside for almost six hours, he by and large put the incident out of his mind. That was until he was in his early twenties and moved into his own home with his fiancée. Then, as he stepped into his new backyard one sunny afternoon, the day came flooding back to him, as did the memories of what happened. He wasn't sure if it was because the backyard in his new home was very similar to the one he lived in as a child or not, but as soon as he stepped outside that afternoon as an adult, the memories of that sunny day in 1984 came surging back. He had gone out to play as normal, sitting on the grass looking out through the back fence that overlooked the fields. At some point, a flash in the sky caught his attention. He stopped what he was doing and looked upwards to where the flash had come from. There, hovering in the sky, was what appeared to be a large shiny ball bearing. He wasn't sure if it was spinning or not, but every now and then, seemingly at random intervals, the light from the sun reflected brilliantly off its surface. He had a quick look around to see if anyone else was outside, but discovered he was completely alone. He contemplated running inside to tell his mother, but he didn't want to leave the garden in case the object disappeared. Instead, he turned his attention back to the sphere in the bright blue sky and continued to watch it, only now it appeared to be much closer. 
Now, with the object closer, PT could see that it did indeed appear to be of a metallic exterior, and was completely smooth, with no panels, windows, or any other kind of markings. He turned around to look at the back door of the house, and then decided he would sneak off for a few minutes, climb over the fence, and view this bizarre craft a little closer. Once he was over the fence, he quickly looked behind him to ensure his mother wasn't there, and then quickly ran into the field in the direction of the round metallic object. He couldn't tell if it was getting bigger as he ran towards it, or whether the object itself was getting closer, perhaps even lower. However, the closer they got to each other, PT's memory, even in recall, began to get hazy and a little disconnected. His last clear memory is being a short distance from the object, which now appeared much larger and was clearly lower down than it had been before. He estimated it was around 100 feet high and then the same again across. Then, the upper semicircle of the front of the object appeared to slide away, allowing the inside to be viewed. PT could see several occupants, each wearing some kind of uniform, but each looking decidedly human. One of these occupants was looking straight at him, and appeared to have a friendly look on his face. However, his recall now becomes jumpy. He can recall being inside the object, but he can't remember what was inside. The only lasting memory is of flashing lights on a large wall, and it appeared to be very dark, but well lit at the same time. He can recall looking down and moving through the air, but he can't recall if he is simply moving through the air himself, or if he is looking down from the object. One thing he does recall is that he can't remember any feelings of fear or of being in danger. Then things became even more blurry. The next memory PT has is of sitting in the backyard and his mother calling to him. He is uncertain if he had only returned there moments before his mother began calling him, or if he had made his way back from the field by himself, or if the occupants of the round craft had brought him there. Furthermore, he is uncertain of exactly what happened once he approached the craft, and why he couldn't recall the encounter in detail. That something happened that day, however, P.T. is certain. Just what might P.T. have witnessed that afternoon in the summer of 1984, and what happened once he approached a strange object? And, if we accept for a moment that the memories are correct, and not some kind of daydream that P.T. has somehow remembered as an actual event, were the occupants of this mysterious round object nothing more than humans in an experimental aircraft, or were they indeed visitors from another world? We should also note, at least to the best of his knowledge, P.T. has had no further encounters since that day when he was a young boy. This would suggest that the encounter was one of pure chance, and not a targeted abduction. This might also explain why his memory of the encounter once he witnessed the occupants became hazy. This very well could have been intentional on the part of the occupants. Indeed, we might recall that P.T. didn't recall anything of the encounter until almost two decades later. Just what happened that day, and just what he might have seen remains unknown. And the fact that he doesn't wish to delve any further means that the encounter will very likely remain a mystery. The following encounter is another that was relayed to me directly from the witness, a reader of UFO Insight, Dave Bradbury, who sent me the account on email, which of course any of you are welcome to do, and there's details about that at the end of the episode. Now, according to what Bradbury told me, the incident unfolded on Christmas night, 1975, when he was a young boy. On this particular Christmas evening, somewhere between 5 and 6 p.m., Bradbury, along with his brother and his uncle, had ventured to Lime Park in Disley just outside of Manchester. The area was hilly, and due to the heavy snow, it was a perfect time for the young boys to go sledding. 
and they weren't on their own. When they arrived, there were plenty of other youngsters there with the same thought in mind. Bradbury explained to me that there were two unofficial slopes at the park, one for younger children, where he, his brother and his uncle were, and a second for older teenagers. To begin with, the evening progressed as he might expect. A short time after arriving though, and without any warning or sound, a huge beam of light beamed down from about 200 feet above them. The witness recalled how everyone stopped what they were doing and stared upward at this suddenly appearing beam of light, a light that was perfectly straight and with very little flare to it. He continued to stare at the light, noticing just how brightly the snow was reflecting in its glare. Then, just like that, it disappeared as quickly as it had arrived. The children and adults alike gasped in amazement at what they had just witnessed. Then, a moment or two later, it appeared again once more, only now it was a little further down the valley ahead of them. After a moment or two, the light disappeared again. It was at this point that Bradbury looked up directly over him. There, moving extremely slowly, was a black mass of a solid object. He and his brother watched this object for several moments before their uncle informed them it was time to leave. They made their way home, all clearly a little unsettled at the evening's events. While that was the end of the encounter itself, things would take a strange turn years later when Bradbury attempted to find further information on the case, specifically whether the local newspaper the Manchester Evening News had reported on it. However, much to his surprise and dismay, when he searched the back copies, the section for December 17th to December 31st, 1975 was missing. And while there could be a perfectly reasonable explanation for this, it is certainly a little eyebrow-raising. As Bradbury states in his report, there are plenty of other people who witnessed the event, some of whom will be in their 60s now. With that in mind, if you were a witness to the incident that night, then please contact us with any information or details you might have. Another UFO encounter sent to UFO Insight was that of William Dixon of Glasgow in Scotland, an account, incidentally, that you can read about in full, along with many others, in the book from deep within the archives of UFO Insight. William would state that one evening in the early 2000s, while sat in bed with his girlfriend drifting off to sleep beside him, he happened to notice, or more to the point, sense, something strange outside the bedroom window. As he stared out into the black sky, his focus fixed upon a large orb that was sparkling with colour, and appeared to mix and swirl as if it were both a fluid substance and a solid object at the same time. For a moment or two, he simply stared at it. Then, after snapping himself to attention, he gently shook his girlfriend so she could see it too. She sat up in bed and turned her attention to where William was looking. Whether by chance or a purposeful reaction, almost as soon as she had the orb in her sight, it turned a fantastic neon red. What is it? she asked. William could think of nothing to offer back other than, don't move. Within moments, both William and his girlfriend were both standing at the bedroom window, watching as the orb changed colour once more, now becoming a much lighter pink. Then, the orb began to rise into the air. As it moved, it would leave gas-like vapour trails behind it. It began to disappear from their view, causing William to quickly make his way to another window on the other side of the property, in order to keep it in sight. His girlfriend pleaded with him not to leave, but he had to see if he could locate the object once again. As he stood at the other window, he continued to speak so that she could hear his voice. He remained there for around 30 seconds before deciding the object had vanished. 
he returned to the bedroom, his girlfriend again asking what they had just seen. All William could reply was simply a UFO. He thought of reporting the sighting to the police, but then stopped, thinking to himself, on second thoughts, we are going to do absolutely nothing. We are just going to carry on as normal. It became quickly apparent to William that by making a report, he would make a rod for their collective back. Who would take them seriously? That isn't to say William was not certain of what they had seen. Although a report of a green light in the sky did appear in a local newspaper several weeks later, William mostly researched the UFO phenomenon in private, something he continues to do today. Now our next case is certainly a little more dramatic and comes to us from the research files of one-time leading UK UFO investigator Tony Dodd, who documented the case in his book Alien Investigator. The account is that of a lady from Yorkshire, known only as Sharon. Now, Sharon first contacted Dodd after listening to him speak on the radio about cases of alien abduction he had investigated. During this interview, Dodd would speak of the signs that abductees had noticed before they realised they had been abducted by extraterrestrials. As Sharon listened, she realised that she too was experiencing many of these strange signs of something untoward taking place. She would often find, for example, that she woke up to find her pillows covered in blood as a result of a nosebleed in the middle of the night. Of further concern, she woke on numerous occasions to not only find that her nightdress had been removed, but it was nowhere to be seen. Stranger still, she often found dirt and mud in her bed, as well as on her feet, as if she had been walking outside. There were other ominous signs too. She would often awake in a different room in her house to the one in which she had fallen asleep, and would also begin noticing strange odours in her home and even stranger markings on her body. What's more, electrical equipment would malfunction in her presence, and on some occasions, clocks would tick backwards. Ultimately, after meeting Dodd, Sharon would agree to undergo hypnotic regression in order to discover if she had indeed been abducted by aliens. What she would discover is remarkable, to say the least. Dodd would take her back to several months previously, when Sharon experienced an episode of Missing Time. She was taken back to around 5am one morning, as she was getting out of bed in order to get ready for work. Although she didn't know why, she had an urge to walk toward the bedroom window. To her shock, as she looked out, the sight of three strange green-brown objects hovering in the sky greeted her, each around the size of a small building. She recalled that the edges of the craft were extremely straight and defined, while the top of them was curved like a dome. The next thing she realised, she was somehow inside one of the craft, inside a large white room. As she looked around, she could see several long ramps leading in different directions. Of more concern to Sharon, however, was the tall tanned creatures. She could hear them talking to her, but seemingly directly into her head. The next thing she knew, she was standing on one of the ramps, ready to proceed into a different room. She was surrounded by other people, one of whom she recognised from previous similar encounters. Then, she was led into a large assembly hall, where they were all stood in a gathering position, as if waiting to listen to someone speak. Indeed, one of the tall creatures appeared before them and began speaking, but once more, this was not out loud, the voice appeared straight inside her mind. They are told of various things, including the pollution that is being caused to the planet, she recalled as she was being told this, she was filled with an intense feeling of sadness. After this talk, they are told to turn around and turn their attention to a large window in the side of the room. Through it, they could see the earth, 
making them realise they were in space. The entire group are then moved along another ramp into another room. According to Dodd's translations of the hypnotic regression sessions, Sharon offered that we walk up the ramp, down the long corridor. I want to touch the walls, but I daren't. I can feel the power. I like the feel. I'm not afraid. It comes out every so often, the wall. I can't touch it. It's dark and light and it isn't a colour. It's like sand, but it's not sand. I can't describe it. It's not metal. It's darkish. I daren't look up. I look forward. It's light at the top and dark at the sides. The next room she entered into was dark with a bright light at the front of it. She recalled that there was something strange about the floor, but it was too dark to see what exactly it was. Suddenly, she began to feel a sense of great fear wash over her, although she didn't know why. She became disorientated and confused, unsure if she was standing up or lying down, a bright light shining on her face at regular intervals. Suddenly, she sensed strange hands on her body and could tell she was being restrained. She looked around and noticed there were several strange creatures in the room. These creatures, though, were different from the first tall tanned ones. She would tell Dodd under hypnosis that she could just see their heads, big heads with big eyes, round to the side of their heads. He's touching my fingers. He's got four fingers, not like ours. They're looking at my fingers, checking each finger. My head's going back. Above there's a round thing with things coming down. It's going in me. It's going in my stomach. Despite the disturbing nature of the procedure, Sharon recalled that she felt no pain whatsoever. Then, the next thing she knew, the procedure was over and she was sitting up on the table. She was led to a triangular doorway and told it was now time to go home. In what seemed like a second, she was back standing inside her bedroom, the strange objects no longer there. At this point in the session, Dodd would regress Sharon back further to various different times in her life. And what was revealed was not just one abduction, but a series of them dating back to when she was very young. She would find herself back as an eight-year-old child. She was asleep in bed when she was awoken suddenly. She would recall to Dodd that the man is here again. He's woken me up. I have to go. I don't want to go. I'm tired. She continued that the man led her out of the house where she floated up toward the spaceship. She soon found herself in a room with lots of other children around her. She further recalled that the big people are there. You've got to be good. They're teachers. You have to listen. They teach you. There were several more of these abductions, all very similar at various times during her childhood. However, it was one when she was a teenager that was perhaps one of the most startling. She revealed she was in her auntie's back garden when she suddenly noticed that she was rising up from the ground. Once more, quoting from her regression sessions, she stated, I'm going straight up into the ship. It's different, this ship. Lighter. It's different than the others. There's panelling on the wall. It's not as nice. I can see funny writing shapes, something like Egyptian writing. There are tubes around the panelling. She soon found herself in a strange room where the mysterious entities removed her clothes. At this point she realised, unlike other encounters, she was completely alone. Suddenly an uncomfortable pins and needles sensation began to spread around her body. A voice appeared in her head, telling her that what she is feeling is energy entering her body. Then the lessons started once more. She told Dodd, I'm being taught lessons about life. I'm being taught to respect the earth. 
I don't believe half of this. They're making me listen, but I don't want to. This is a bit heavy. They're telling me about the pyramids. They put the pyramids here. According to Dodd's report, when Sharon watched the videotapes of her session, she was visibly surprised and at times upset. She claims to have no memory of the events she described. She also, however, claimed to feel more at peace with the strange experiences that had led her to Dodd in the first place. We will examine another one of Dodd's cases next to finish with, a case featured in the same book and involving a mother and daughter, Carol and Helen Thomas from Birmingham in England. It was on the morning of March 30th, 1988, when Helen was on her way to her mother's house, as she did every morning, so they could walk together to the mill where they both worked. They always took the same route, which included several shortcuts through various alleyways. Due to it being early in the morning, they rarely saw any other people. On this morning though, while making their way through one of the alleyways, they suddenly noticed a strange but persistent humming sound. A moment later, they noticed a bright, blinding light shining down on them from above. Carol would later recall it was as if someone was shining an immensely powerful torch on them. The light appeared to be coming closer, so much so that it made the two women feel dizzy and nauseous. Then, things changed. The light was suddenly gone and the two women were walking down the alley. Helen realised that her coat was soaking wet, even though the ground around her was completely dry. They both felt confused and disorientated, as if something truly strange had occurred, but they just simply couldn't recall what. By the time they arrived at work, they were several hours late, time that they simply couldn't account for. The pair did their best to put the incident behind them, but over the following weeks, each would develop strange blisters on their face and arms, as well as suffering sudden nosebleeds. In fact, it would be six years until the pair finally contacted Tony Dodd in an effort to discover just what had happened to them in the alleyway that day. Ultimately, the two women agreed to undergo hypnotic regression, a procedure that did indeed reveal a most startling encounter. Carol would recall that the light had seemingly swallowed them, and they suddenly found themselves in a white room. She lay atop a table, and she could see Helen on a table next to her. The room appeared to have some kind of window that ran all the way around it, and her legs each lay under a wet netted cloth. Strange creatures surrounded the table, not very tall and with large heads and equally large eyes. Long arms stretched from their frail-looking bodies, with each sporting a three-fingered hand on the end. Their skin shone an off-white colour and appeared wet and wrinkled. Their touch had a cold feel to it when they pressed their hands on Carol's body, they pressed in particular on a navel before pushing a glass tube into her belly button. She could not feel any pain, although for reasons she didn't understand, they knew they had taken eggs from her. Following this intense examination, one of the strange creatures showed her to a large screen on the wall. Strange symbols appeared on it, along with footage of war and conflict. Perhaps the strangest of her memories, though, was of a taller being. This being was male, with long blonde hair and blue eyes. He adorned a silver suit, and Carol could recall seeing a distinctive badge or emblem on it, a blue badge that contained a circle, a triangle, and two wavy lines. Helen, who would give her hypnosis testimony separately and independently, would be much the same as Carol's. As for the wetness of her jacket, Helen would recall that one of the creatures had taken a particular interest in the texture of it, so much so that it repeatedly clawed at it and rubbed the material upon its face. 
As Carol had stated, everything around them was wet to touch, including the skin of the shorter creatures. It is indeed a truly strange encounter. Whether it was a random incident or whether like Sharon from Yorkshire, the two women had been subject to other apparent alien abductions remains unknown. These are then but five accounts to come out of the United Kingdom. There are clearly many, many more that require examination and discussion. What is perhaps clear though, is these sightings have been taking place in the United Kingdom, much like elsewhere in the world, for decades, if not longer. And they continue to happen today. Just who or what is behind these UFO sightings and alien abductions? Well, that is perhaps a topic for another time. For now, I will simply thank you for joining me, and be sure to leave any thoughts in the comments, and check out the links for further reading on some of the cases and theories we have been discussing here today. Remember also to subscribe to our channel, and follow us on social media to keep up to date on future podcasts, articles and videos. And if there is anything that you want us to feature on future podcast episodes, perhaps you have witnessed a UFO yourself, or perhaps you have a theory that you wish us to explore, then just get in touch at marcus at ufoinsight.com. Until next time, goodbye and take care.